Welcome to the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks podcast. In each episode of River Talks, we explore a new topic related to the health, enjoyment, and stewardship of the Cumberland River Basin's water, people, and special places. We sit down with experts, artists, researchers, professionals, and more to share their knowledge and experiences. I'm Katherine Price, and I'll be your River Talks host. Be sure to subscribe to River Talks to be notified of every new episode, and don't forget to rate and review our podcast. The implementation and growth of regenerative agriculture practices that heal the land and feed people rely on getting the land into the hands of people willing to implement those practices. Yet too often, land access is a barrier for many small and mid-sized farmers, and especially difficult for Black, Indigenous, and farmers of color. The issue of land access has only gotten more urgent as close to 4 million acres of land are about to change hands and land prices have skyrocketed. To address land access and to build and sustain the regenerative agriculture movement, it will take a radical reimagining and shift of thinking. In today's River Talk, we sit down with Christina Villa, the Communications Director and Agrarian Commons Relationship and Strategy Specialist with the Agrarian Trust. In our conversation, we discuss land access and how the agrarian commons model is pushing forward a new model of land ownership. Agrarian trust is addressing the realities of farmland owner demographics, wealth disparities, farm viability, and all who are excluded and marginalized from land and food by holding farmland in community-centered commons and providing long-term equitable land access for next generation farmers and ranchers. Christina, thank you so much for joining us on River Talks today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation a lot because on River Talks, we have talked a lot about agriculture and sustainable agriculture and its intersection with our lands and waters. But this conversation, I think, is going to be a little bit different because we're talking about land access and how we get land to people. So before we kind of dive into your work, I just wanted to start with the basics. So what is land access when we talk about farming and why is it an important part of the sustainable agriculture movement? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, our disconnection from land and food is the root of so many problems and issues that we are facing as a people, as a nation, as a world. And if we could just switch and change how we interact with land and who gets access and tenure to land, then so many of our issues and problems could be fixed and addressed that way. There is a crisis happening with farmland particularly, and there are so many disparities and inequities around who has access to land. You know, we look at the fact that 2,000 acres are lost every single day from agriculture. And it makes us wonder, where is our food going to come from in the future? And the fact that 37 mid-sized farms close every day, like, who are the farmers who are going to feed us if all of the farms around us are being lost and they're folding under these incredibly unsustainable financial systems that we have in place? And then, you know, the climate crisis, like the climate crisis is barreling down on us and still less than 2% of farms around the country are using organic or chemical free methods. Like it is crazy. We need to start focusing on 
not just conserving land, but also healing land and feeding people. And that's what we need to start using land for is food production and regenerative agriculture to heal people and land and communities and create economic viability for farms and people and the people who are going to fix the problems of the world through agriculture and food. Yeah, and we've had this conversation with folks on the podcast before, especially with American Farmland Trust and thinking about sort of this loss of agricultural land and what that means. And you mentioned that a lot of what the land loss is right now is around small and mid-sized farms. And so can you talk a little bit about, you know, why is this farmland ownership change happening right now? Like what exactly is going on that's really shifting the mindset about this sort of urgency around land access? Yeah, you know, there is so much urgency. The thing is that land prices have skyrocketed. Like they are completely out of reach of young, beginning, disadvantaged farmers. Like no one can afford to buy land. And that that makes it completely inaccessible to the people who are going to grow food and heal that land, you know? Like the price of vegetables and the cost of farming does not equal the cost of land. And then there is this other side. So you know, one side is young and beginning farmers cannot access land. But then the other side of this land transition crisis that we're in is that older farmers, which account for most farmers in the U.S., most farmers in the U.S. are over 65 years old, and their retirement is tied to the land they own. So how do they get out of farming? How do they transition their land and then pay for a dignified retirement unless they put it on the open market, which then makes the land only available to developers or speculators or very often just wealthy people who want private space and big lawns. Like it is not, this system is not transitioning and caring for land. It is not thinking of a future of sustainability and food security. And then this other piece is that right now we are in this moment of great transition. It is the largest transition of wealth that this country has ever seen is about to take place over the next two decades. Over 400 million acres of land are going to change hands. That is a ton of land. Like just capturing just a tiny bit of that and making sure that it is decommodified, taken off the market, put in the hands of small farmers and ensured to be used as regenerative food production going forward could be a huge transformation in the future of our country and our world and our climate and our food security and all of these issues that we're talking about. Very often, you know, I'll share that with someone and and people will be like, well, land has always been in transition. And that is true. Land transition is inevitable and land land justice, unfortunately, is not. But we are at a point of major transition because of the generation of baby boomers who have acquired all this land and are now aging out. So that population is so large. And that is why it is very different than times in the past when land has always been in transition. Yeah, it's remarkable what is happening right now, kind of under the radar, right? Like unless you're part of this conversation, you don't really see it. You don't really know it. Maybe you see signs of it. Like you drive by areas that you knew used to be large farms and now there's something different. That land is being accessed. You see a parcel of land up for sale and you look at the price tag of it, but then you go to the grocery store and your your food is still there. And so that disconnect, like you said, is um, definitely necessitating a broader conversation that more people need to be involved with. It's not just a you know small niche issue in the agriculture community. It's of course something that 
is is impacting all of us. And in in this conversation, I think we're going to, you know, really dive into the work that you guys do as agrarian trust. And I know there are also kind of some new terms and vocab for probably our listeners and for myself around agrarian trusts and agrarian commons. So could you kind of describe what are those and how do they fit together? How are they different? How are they the same? So Agrarian Trust is a national 501c3 nonprofit land trust that is very different than the two typical types of land trusts. So in general, before Agrarian Trust came to existence, there were two different families of land trusts. One of them is a conservation land trust, and then one of them is a community land trust. And both of them have been doing and are still doing great work, but they are limited in what they can do. So agrarian trusts saw both of those different types of land trusts and then took the very best parts of them and made what we have now as agrarian trusts. So a conservation land trust uses conservation easements to restrict the use of land, but then it does not say what will happen to that land. It does not ensure regenerative chemical-free food production agriculture. And with a conservation easement, the land is still available on the open market, only accessible to those who have the highest money, not insured to go to farmers who will heal the land and produce food for communities. Agrarian Trust goes beyond conserving land and decommodifies it and makes it available for farmers. And then a community land trust has done really wonderful work, but is limited in the way that does not bring the national support that a conservation land trust does, or it also is usually focused on infrastructure and housing and not, not always agriculture land. So agrarian trust is this national land trust that focuses on removing uh, farmland, agriculture land from the speculative market, and then places it in the ownership and control of local communities. And so there are these agrarian commons throughout the country and these are set up as 501c2 or 501c25 land holding entities. So these are subsidiaries of the National Trust, but they are limited in what they can do. So the IRS says that these limited land holding entities, these agrarian commons throughout the country, can hold property and then manage that property. So they can hold the deed to land. This is either agriculture land or other food system real estate, and then convey lease tenure out. This agrarian commons is made up of a board of people, and this board of people are the owners of the land. This board is made up of community stakeholders who support that farm, who eat from that farm, who live in that area of the farm, and then also the farmer the farmer and the steward of the land gets to be on that board because who should be making decisions about the land? You know, it's the farmer, like the people who care for that land should be the ones who are making the decisions. And then there's also agrarian trust staff representation on each board. And so then this board gives a lease out to the farmer or steward, but it's unlike a typical lease. So we hear lease and we have all of these assumptions about what that means. But, and I have to say it's a lease because legally that's what it is, but it is very different. So in this uh, lease arrangement, the lease is 
for as long as state law will allow. So in most places that is 99 years. So we're not talking a year to year lease that gives farmers insecurity. We're talking about a long term, very secure lease, which allows farmers to practice regenerative agriculture on a long scale, on a long-term scale. Most farmland in this country is rented. I should have said that before, but most farmland that is in agriculture right now is leased. And typically these leases are very short-term and are high rates. And that does not give a farmer the sort of security and tenure that they need to enact the practices in agriculture that heal and regenerate soil. So through the agrarian trust, through the agrarian commons model, farmers and stewards receive this long-term 99-year lease, which then allows them to do things like build soil, improve infrastructure, plant berries, plant fruit trees, really rotate, regenerate, and heal pastures and open up seed banks. You know, these things are needed for a healthy ecosystem, but our profit-driven short-term site in agriculture and in farming does not typically allow farmers to do these things. So another thing that is unique about this lease is the cost. So the farmer sits on the board and gets to help dictate what the cost is gonna be. And in some places around the country in these agrarian commons, farmers are paying $0. In some places, they're just paying taxes and insurance. In a lot of places, they have opted to pay a voluntary land tax, which then goes to the indigenous tribes and peoples whose land they're on. But it really is designed so that the farmer and the community meet each other where they're at and that the payment is established that way. And then this payment that the farmer makes to access this land, none of it goes back to the National Trust. It all is then reinvested into that land and into that infrastructure and into that community so that the land, so that the money and the resources are not just staying in community, but helping to build a better food system for that community. So these leases are, are long-term and they are secure and the rate is affordable. They also incorporate these regenerative chemical-free practices that we've talked about. So, you know, it stipulates that the land has to be in active agriculture, that overgrazing is not allowed, no use of harmful pesticides or herbicides or fungicides or artificial fertilizers. And then in addition, there's this equity building component, which, you know, that's pretty radical. Like where else can a farmer or anyone get a lease that then helps them to build equity? In this lease, the equity building component is that any infrastructure that the farmer creates on top of the land that they do not own, they then have that equity as something that they can sell to the next farmer who takes over their lease or any infrastructure improvements that they make on the land, they hold that equity. So that's like, you know, the fundamental raw equity component, but there are all these other equity components that are involved. So now that the land price and the high cost of land has been taken off the table and the farmer does not have to pay this overwhelming mortgage or these, you know, incredibly high lease rates, they now can use their money from their business from their farming business and invest it in whatever else other ways that they want to invest it in. 
So, you know, they can have a retirement plan, they can do health insurance, they can make investments in other places. We are seeing in other agrarian commons that farm collectives are farming, growing food, doing everything that a great farming system does through the agrarian commons, and that they are also able to save money in ways that is allowing them to purchase property around their agrarian commons own land. So they are able to leverage their funds in other ways to acquire and purchase more land and property and, you know, rent those out or make money in other ways and build equity in those ways too. And this lease is so wonderful in another way, which is that farmers and stewards can pass this lease on to next generation farmers, including their own children. So if their children are interested in farming, they can hand this equitable lease off to their children. And, you know, that's that's something that I think a lot of people want to be able to do is pass on to their children and the next generation, this legacy that they've built. So it's really wonderful that this model allows for that. But also, so often, farmland is lost because the next generation does not want to farm it. So this model allows for next generation or next generation farmers to pick up the land and carry it forward, but only if they want to be farmers. So it keeps it from being lost to development in the generation that decides they don't want to farm anymore. It's so fascinating the way that your model really redefines what wealth is and what it can be and while also being protective of the land and so not saying you can't have wealth building and you can't build you know a sustainable personal you know uh development for yourself and for your family but that those things can be tied together and it does require a really shift of thinking and how all these things play out when we look at traditional models of leasing and what that looks like and how to work within the bounds of you know, the, the laws and policies that you're given and be able to still have something that's sustainable long-term. I love what you just brought up there because it really does take a huge shift in the way that we're thinking about farmland, farm ownership, farmland access, food production. You know, this is a very new land trust. Like this is a very young model. This has only been happening for a few years and it has taken a long time to get to a point where we have identified the issues and then found legal pathways to address them and to be in relationship together. But the cultural mindset shift that is needed for this to take root and become a large scale movement is really significant because here in the West, when we talk about what we want out of land, you know, we want security, we want long-term tenure, we want autonomy, we want to be able to be independent in what we do. The only way we know how to talk about that right now is through the word ownership. But there are other ways. And this model shows that, that a farmer and a steward of land can get everything that they want out of land ownership without actually having to be the private owner of that land. And in many other countries, they're doing this all over the world, you know, like community owned, community centered, decentralized ownership of land is happening in so many other places. And that is where Agrarian Trust has drawn its inspiration from is all of these other movements around the world who have shown that community owned land can work and is working. And in many other places around the world, community land trusts, land trusts in general are 
for a big part of the movement of reclaiming land, healing the earth, providing food security. And so how do we make our Western culture wake up and realize that this can be a way forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I know that your model also really works to address land access and land equity, particularly with people of color and farmers of color. And that is a lot of the folks that you all work with. So how does land access tie into you know, historical inequities that these communities have been faced? And what is your model doing to really address that moving forward? You know, our mission at Agrarian Trust is to protect farmland and to support next generation farmers. And we see that historically, and with the way things are right now, that that needs to be those land, those pieces of farmland need to be put back in the hands of Black farmers, Indigenous farmers, and people of color, because they are the ones who have been historically kept out of land access and who have been purposefully kept from land ownership through extortion, through theft, through genocide. You know, right now in this country, over 97% of land is owned by white people. That is so grossly unjust. And so the more we can do to take land off the market and fulfill our mission of protecting that farmland, but then also put it in the hands of people of color is a way that we can help shift that power dynamic. And so we do try to do that. You know, right now throughout the country, there are these agrarian commons and over 83% of the farmers who are farming land in these agrarian commons are people of color. So that is a big focus. And because, you know, this is liberation, like having, connection to land, having access to land is a human need, but having tenure and security to land that and being able to grow food for your community that is healthy, that is nourishing, that helps create that economic sustainability and viability for a community. It's so important and it's so needed. And it is people of color in those communities of color who have been historically kept from that and who need to be like, we need to be switching those resources and moving them in the opposite direction to where they've been. You know, there are several agrarian commons throughout the country that are focused on BIPOC food supply chain, BIPOC land sovereignty and land control and indigenous commons that are focused on that for indigenous communities. And really our work is just to support those agrarian commons and to funnel as many resources as in the form of land and money into those commons that are led by the people on the ground and those communities that are doing the work and to just support them in their work that they're already doing. They just need more resources and access to land, you know? So, so our work is just to get that land and get those resources and give it to the people who need it and let them, you know, farm, feed their communities and create better paths forward than they've historically been allowed to do. And I know the agrarian trusts and agrarian commons, like you said, are relatively new, especially here in the United States, but you all do have some really cool examples of what this is looking like in practice. So tell me about sort of what happens once land is part of the agrarian trusts and agrarian commons. Like, what does that look like? And what are some examples of some of these projects happening here in the U.S.? It's amazing. It's so so humbling to see the transformation that happens in a community when they have secure land tenure. Once they have land, you know, people already know how to grow food. They just need the land to do it on. And, and so, yeah, there are amazing examples all over the country of 
farmers who have been farming, growing food for their communities, but we're just missing that land piece, that land security and tenure piece. And now that they have it to see what is happening is, you know, just totally amazing. So for instance, a project in Southwest Virginia is with this black farmer who had been growing food for his community for over five years using borrowed and leased lawns. So he was dry, and this is within a food desert. So within a food desert, right in Roanoke, Virginia, he was driving all over and using these borrowed and leased lawns and pumping out so much food. And now he is on a farm, an urban farm and all in a consolidated one spot where he is growing food much more efficiently. And it has become this community food hub center where people visit and the school brings students over to learn about farming and they engage in farm activities and restaurants and grocery stores and farmers markets are all selling that food that's being produced on that land and it has created such stability for that farmer and really propelled forward his ability to to, to keep his business going in a more efficient and profitable way and then also in virginia there's the central virginia agrarian commons where a piece of urban farmland has been brought into the agrarian commons that's right next to an elementary school and also within a food desert. And so they are already growing so much food there. And the elementary school students, they get to see that on their way to and from school when normally all they've seen are gas station marquee signs or fast food. Now they see food being grown. And to be able to, to, be able to do that for children, to be able to show them where food comes from and how it's grown and and that's really how we're going to create a next generation of farmers is to inspire children at a younger age and show them what is possible. But also it's that food security aspect. So now this other community that's within a food desert has food being grown right there and available to people within walking distance. And, and it's so amazing too, because the same agrarian commons was given a land donation right outside of the city um, 80 acres was donated by this white couple that felt that they needed to make this contribution as an act of reparations. So they donated this 80 acre parcel of land into this agrarian commons, which is focused on BIPOC control of land and BIPOC control of food security. And it's an amazing story of you know, what can happen when people use their positionality to right the wrongs of history. It's a small step, of course, but it is transformational in what it has done for this community and also the story that it has told that hopefully will inspire others who see, I have access to land, I have access to resources, and the power dynamics in this country need to shift. What can I do to rectify this? And so this agrarian commons with this urban piece of land that's been brought into the agrarian commons and with this rural donation land is really focused on connecting that rural and urban landscape because they both need each other. You know, that urban community needs more food than its urban farm can produce. And then that rural community needs a market for the food that they can produce out there. So showing the interconnectedness and need for both is really unique to that agrarian commons and something that I think is a good model and inspiring story for others.
And then, yeah, throughout the country, there are just these amazing stories of transformation as land is taken off the market and given to people who will take care of it and produce food for their communities. There's in West Virginia, there is this farm that uh, was facing intense development pressure. And this community was already growing food there, but they were going to lose the farm because of this development pressure. And Agrarian Trust was able to fundraise and acquire the farm and bring it into the commons. And now they produce so much food. It is unbelievable how much food they produce, but they're also plugged into this larger food aggregation that uh, funnels food back into the community through emergency food relief programs and also through the elementary school that's near them. So these students are getting to eat locally, organically grown produce at least once a week in their cafeteria. And that to me is the revolutionary story of like, that's what we need to be doing all over the country. Like, can you imagine if our schools had local organic food available to students? Like what that would do for, their brain development and their ability to be the fullest, best human beings that they could be. And this is all because those farmers were given land security and they can now just flourish as farmers and community members. So yeah, I could keep going. There are amazing stories all over the country of, of, of the radical change that's happening right. once, you know, the high costs of mortgages and leases or, or land prices are just taken off the table, you know, like once that capitalistic price point is just removed and not part of the equation anymore like what people can do mm -hmm. it's the idea of kind of radically imagining a new future that is something that requires you know these small scale examples and then really that inspiration to move forward and I think especially in in agriculture and a lot of this transformation whether it's around land access or around even just doing more regenerative or sustainable practices or doing organic practices there definitely seems to be sort of this a large entity you have to push against, which is traditional farmers and traditional landowners and sort of the bigger agricultural. So how do you see this type of model really scaling up to address what we do need on a big scale? How, how can we do that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we are a small organization and a new grassroots organization, and we are as a grain trust, we are never going to acquire enough land that's really going to make the pendulum swing in a different way, you know? But as we see the land needing to be held in common, we also see that as resources and knowledge. Like resources and knowledge also need to be held in common. And so what we have created is a model that anybody else can follow. So every resource and document that is needed to create an agrarian commons is available as an open resource on the internet at agrariantrust.org. Anyone can just go there and do the same thing. They can create an agrarian commons. And that's true for other land trusts too. Like every, every land trust in this country has the ability to do this exact same thing. They could also be acquiring land, decommodifying it, making it accessible and affordable for farmers you know, the model and the legal pathways have been created. Now we just need other people to do it. And we are seeing that everywhere. We are seeing other land trusts start to adopt this. We are seeing other farms create these agrarian commons local to them. It's really 
creating these open resources and making them available to anyone and then telling these stories, people hearing that this is even possible, like knowing that a new path forward is available to them and can happen is what will inspire more and more people to just take what we're doing and then replicate it and duplicate it and take it forward themselves. And that's how real movement will happen. And like, that's how real transformation will happen is when everybody around the country sees this as a viable path forward and then starts doing it themselves. It's great the way you all are, you center yourself as a resource, less of, of the power holder in this conversation that you can help make these things happen with or, you know, with the agrarian trust or sort of on their own as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's true for the movement. Like that's mm-hmm. true in general. Like here are all the resources, every single thing that we do, we try to be really transparent and open about and tell all the stories and lay everything out there about, you know, how we fundraise for these projects, the legal pathways to make them all happen so that other people can do it. But then to your point of like trying not to center ourselves as the power holders, that's true in the model too. You know, like the National Agrarian Trust exists to bring that support to these local agrarian commons, like fundraising, storytelling, communication, legal, real estate, but really the power and the control and the decision-making lies within that local agrarian commons, which is led by the people on the ground. Like it is just this new way of amping up a grassroots movement because that's what grassroots movement usually lacks is this like national bigger support. And so how do we bring that while staying true to the grassroots part of it. And this model seems to have done that pretty effectively. That's great. That's really helpful kind of model to to think about for a a lot of things and issues that we're facing moving forward. So let's talk about here in Tennessee, what is happening with agrarian commons in Tennessee? Yeah. So the agrarian trust has a middle Tennessee agrarian commons and there are a lot of different projects up in the air. There's no land being held by the Middle Tennessee Agrarian Commons at this very moment, but there are landowners who are interested in donating their land in. There are farm lands that have been being built for many, many years that are in need of saving as a transition that we're in communication and conversations with. And then there are community farms that are being held by faith institutions. And we're in conversation with them about how to best keep that farmland in farmers' hands moving forward. And so, yeah, there's a lot of potential and a lot of conversations happening, but nothing set in stone as of right now. So how can people get involved in sort of building this Middle Tennessee movement that is really kind of just on the ground right now? Yeah, you know, I think that the way that people can get involved in this movement, either in their local community on the ground or in the national perspective is, like I shared, every single thing that we are doing is open resource and available on the Agrarian Trust website. It is a wealth of knowledge and resources and stories there our other podcasts, other videos, there are guidebooks and reports, and our blog is very active and updated very regularly. And then every agrarian commons is on the website with breakdowns of how it's structured, what the model looks like on, you know, in that specific location, the bylaws, the leases, like every document is available for anyone to go look at. And then you know, signing up for the Agrarian Trust newsletter would keep people in the know and up to date, and they can choose which exact 
agrarian commons that they want to get newsletters about if there's a specific one they're interested in. And then, you know, we're always looking for ways to partner and collaborate with other organizations or other businesses, whether it be building awareness or sharing the stories um, or, you know, participating in a fundraiser to acquire land into the agrarian commons. So any way that anyone could think of that would be a great partnership or collaboration, I would welcome them to reach out and be in contact and just, yeah, let's have a conversation and see how we can work together to make this mission happen. And then, you know, land donations are a crucial part to this. Like we cannot fundraise to purchase every farmland, every piece of farmland. Like we need people who are aligned in vision and values and principles to see the need for this and to see how important this is and to say, I want to give my land to be used for regenerative agriculture in perpetuity and accessible and affordable to farmers who need it. And we need those people to just move to action to donate and give that land to be held in community ownership for food production. So that is a big way and all about how land gifts work or how land donations happen is also on the Agrarian Trust website. Your website is definitely a wealth of information. I was pulling details from that. And wow, you could just spend a couple hours on there learning about all the things that you're doing and the project highlights. And so I definitely recommend folks checking that out. Well, thank you, Christina, for joining me today on River Talks. This was a fascinating conversation. And I think it really adds to the existing conversations that we've had around sustainable and regenerative agriculture and really gets us back to the roots of land access and how important the actual land and the people that are working that land is to moving this this sustainable uh, movement forward and that this is a really key part of that. So I really appreciate your perspective and thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you to Christina for joining me on this episode of River Talks. If you'd like to learn more about the resources mentioned in today's podcast, please check out our blog at cumberlandrivercompact.org slash blog.